Welcome to The Bridge Online. No matter where you're worshiping from, we are so glad to have you with us. This week, Pastor Doug has another message for us. So grab your Bibles and let's dive in. Today, if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 1, please. And the title of the sermon is The Purpose of Pentecost. And we're still in our series, Practical Christian Living. And I know we've talked about some things, maybe today it seems more spiritual, less practical, but it's very, very practical. I can't, I thought maybe we would close out this series, and I can't close it out with discussing about three or four more things that are absolutely, what I would say, a part of practical Christianity that apply to every single follower of Jesus Christ. And so read with me Acts chapter 1, starting in the fourth verse. It says, being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you have heard from me. If John truly baptized with water, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses or shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Now skip to the second chapter. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there was dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. They were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are these not all who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each one of them in our own language in which we were born? Corinthians, Medes, Iliamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phygeria, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya, adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans, Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others were mocking, and they said, they are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice, and he said to them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and heed my words, for these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. It shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. 
I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and notable day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Praise God. Now this morning, the title of the sermon is The Purpose of Pentecost. But when I refer to Pentecost, this is what I'm referring to. You see, Pentecost was actually a Jewish feast day. It, it refers to the time that this event that we're reading about now takes place. But for the sake of this sermon, when, when I speak of Pentecost, I'm speaking about this experience. It's a deeply, deeply important moment in church history. And I was thinking this morning of... This is how my brain works, so excuse me, I wouldn't suggest you do this. But I was thinking of the top five most important events in human history and the most important top five events in Christendom. And of course, there's the coming of Christ, right? The birth of Jesus Christ, God coming in the flesh, Emmanuel with us. There's the death of Christ, the shedding of his blood on the cross. Without question, there's the resurrection of Christ, which everything we believe hinges upon. I had a very difficult time. If those are the top three, I had a hard time finding one that would replace number four being the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the church. One of the top five events in all of human history. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit. This moment of time, 2,000 years ago, set in motion something that had been prophesied Hundreds of years earlier, it was the fulfillment of an amazing promise. And Peter says such when he reads 17 through 21, he's, he's rehashing, he's, he's speaking what the prophet spoke hundreds of years ago. He said, there's come, the prophet Joel was given an, a prophetic utterance, a vision, a revelation, an understanding by God himself that there would be a day in human history. It wasn't his day, it was going to be a day to come. When the Spirit of God, and that's a reference to the Holy Spirit, when the Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, would come down and dwell within men and women. Now, folks, for those that would have been listening, that would have been absurd to have considered. Because for those in that time, they would have only, that would have only happened to a select few of people, some of the patriarchs of the faith. It would have happened to David, it would have happened to Samson, it would have happened to Moses. There were, and, and the idea that somehow this same power, this same spirit of God would move upon me, a farmer, a shepherd, a, a mother, a, a, a daughter, a son. How could this possibly, a manservant, I'm a servant. How, how could I experience something that the most elite people in religious history have experienced? But that is what was prophesied and on this particular day on Pentecost in the book of Acts we see that it comes to fulfillment Jesus Christ came to the earth folks he went to the cross and he paid for our sins with his blood and this opened the doorway for God to come as the third person of the Trinity and the third person of the Godhead the Holy Spirit and dwell with all, within all who call upon the name of Jesus. I thank God this morning that this promise was not just for the elite. It was not just for the influential. It's not just for pastors or church leaders or deacons. 
It's not exclusive for men. It's not exclusive for women. It's not exclusive for children. This promise that was given thousands of years ago and fulfilled 2,000 years ago is still a promise for all who call upon the name of Jesus and who choose to receive it. The promise of the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of a man or a woman is a promise. I want you to get this this morning. It is a promise to be made new from the inside out. It is a promise to be empowered to live a life that brings glory and honor to God's name. That is what it means to be full of the Holy Spirit. That is what it means to have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you. In John chapter 20 and verse 22, you can read it. I didn't give them the verses of scripture, but you can read it in John chapter 20 and verse 22. I'll read it to you briefly. Jesus, after his resurrection, he's appearing to his disciples. And in John chapter 20, verse 22, he says to this as he encounters them. The Bible says he breathes on them. And he says, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, most commentators are, are in agreement on this, that this was a, a, it was a type. It was a, 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 a duality of what happened at the beginning of time, at the beginning of creation, when God himself, by the breath of his mouth, spoke life into a human being. You can read that in Genesis. God breathed into, into dust, and he formed a man, and he formed natural life. And now God, the Son, Jesus Christ, is breathing upon that vessel that God created millions of years prior, thousands of years prior, whatever it was. And now Jesus is breathing on them again, and he's not giving them physical life. They already have physical life, but now he's giving them spiritual life. He's breathing life into their being, spiritual life. You understand that? They didn't need natural life. They already had it. And the breath of God, one more time, is creating something new. Most believe that this is the moment where the disciples are actually born again. This is an experience that you must have if you want to spend eternity with God. You don't join a church. You don't get baptized. You don't partake in communion. You, 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 you don't... You don't follow some sort of religious rite. You call upon the name of Jesus and he breathes on you with the Holy Spirit and you are born again. You go from spiritual death to spiritual life. And he said, receive the Holy Spirit. But then you read what we read in Acts chapter 1 and Jesus now, a different time, a different experience, same disciples says to them, you need to go to Jerusalem and wait there so that the Holy Spirit can come upon you and you will have power to be my witnesses. Now, we have to address this, folks. You know, I was, I was thinking through, and you're talking about the top five events in human history and Christendom, and the top three are really fringe Christian groups, and they're I use the word Christian very, very loosely. But fringe groups will argue about how Jesus came and his birth. They'll argue about his death and burial and resurrection. But true biblical Christianity, you won't argue about those things. You'll, you'll rarely hear any argument or any discussion about the birth of Christ. The Christ took on flesh. 
You'll, you'll rarely ever hear anything among true Protestant, born-again, true biblical-believing churches and Christians. They won't argue about the death and burial and resurrection of Christ. But then when we get to this event, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, we, we get this all this radical, like, all, the, all these reasons and all these why, why it happened and how it happened. I'm here to tell you this morning, it's not as difficult as the church has made it. And I need you to listen to this this morning. I need you to quit listening through your denominational lens or how you were raised or how you were taught and just listen to the Bible. Listen to the word of God. Let God's word speak to you. There, I'm not trying to trick you. There's not Greek and Hebrew and no, you got to, it's out of context. Nothing that I'm telling you this morning is out of context. Jesus Christ shed his blood and when he did, he released the Holy Spirit. He loosed the Holy Spirit to come and dwell in you and seize you and control you and fill you so that you could represent him in the earth. You've got to understand this, folks. It really is quite clear. Jesus told the disciples what was going to happen. This power of the Holy Spirit was going to cause them to step out of their weakness, to step out of the works of their own flesh, and to be able to live as a testimony of the power of Christ. You see, all the time, Jesus was so, so faithful, so patient, so kind with his disciples. You know, they're, they're, they're still living in their own flesh. And, and they're arguing about a spiritual kingdom. And they're, they're arguing with the fleshly mind. And all the questions that they have, they, they're motivated from a natural perspective. And Jesus just bears with them, doesn't he? He's just, he's just so kind. And he allows them to heal us. And he answers questions. He goes wrong. But he knows that there's going to come a moment where it's all going to change. Because the Holy Spirit's going to come inside. And he's going to begin to empower them to live the way that he desires them to live. You see, the man or woman that is full of the Holy Spirit is no longer an argument or a debate. They become immediately a living testimony of the power of God. And today, sadly in America, Christianity and, and many professing Christians have been relegated to nothing more than an argument or a debate. There's no power in what they say. We're very intellectually strong. We're biblically in some cases, there's a, there's a strong biblical foundation and understanding, but, but there's no power behind it. There's no life behind it. These Folks, listen to me. These are the men and women who experienced with their own eyeballs Jesus Christ. They walked with him. They talked with him. They heard him. They listened to him. John laid his head on the bread, heard the heartbeat of God. They watched with their own eyes as the Son of God is crucified. They watched as he's buried. And then they experienced his resurrection. And yet Jesus says, but you still need power. I, if you're asking me in the natural, I'd say that's pretty powerful. I got to watch it all take place. That's pretty powerful. No, no, no. Jesus understood that as the years go, it's, you're going to need more than an argument. You're going to need more than a debate. You're going to need more than intellectual understanding. You're going to need more than your personal encounter. Yes, that creates the very foundation of the faith. 
It's, it's why we can have apologetics and prove that our religion is true and right because it's on strong witness. It's on a, it's, it's, it has more eyewitness account than many of our other historic things that we believe. Do you understand me? So yes, it builds the strength of the, of the foundation of the faith. But that's not all that God's looking for. God's looking for men and women who can stand in the marketplace and be a living testimony of the power of Christ. Those who can go on the job, who can walk into the classroom, into the coffee shop. They can go to Walmart, wherever it is they go, and they can be, they can, the power of God can be seen in their life. In the way they live, in the way they talk, in the way they interact, in the way they speak. Jesus is telling his disciples, you're going to have wisdom from God that you don't possess and that you can't possibly possess from simple study. You're going to have abilities that you don't naturally possess. That is what it means to be full of the Holy Spirit. I want to say that again. To be full of the Holy Spirit means you have abilities and power flowing through you that you cannot possibly physically possess. It's supernatural. Some of you are scared to death of it. Because you were raised all your life watching foolishness on TV. But the spiritual realm is more real than the natural realm. Because everything you see with your eyes is going to pass and fade. And you're going to live for all of eternity in a spiritual realm. No, no, it means that you're empowered with something that you, 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 don't, you can't muster up, you can't work it, you can't be trained in it, you can't be taught in it. It flows from the Holy Spirit. These abilities will differ, but they will all be supernaturally operated. Do you understand? You and I don't operate them. They're supernaturally operated by the Holy Spirit, but they are operated through you. Think of how amazing this is. We, we, we just, we just, if we, our minds, we get so glossed over with so many sermons and so many thoughts and so many ideas. This, these deep truths, these very practical and real truths, sometimes we just pass them by. We're talking about God dwelling within us and empowering us to be his witnesses. Now, while the promise is clearly for everyone, all who call upon the name of Jesus, all who are born again. Unfortunately, not everyone will receive this promise in its fullness. I've been struck by that all week. No, no, not everyone's going to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit in its fullness. Why? Some are going to try to receive only the portion they like. Some are going to look at this and they're going to see certain parts and certain aspects of the power of the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Spirit. And they're going to create a theology, an idea of God and a doctrine around the things that they like and that they agree with. Some will spend all of their time analyzing it and scrutinizing every detail. Others are going to simply stand as skeptics as they did on the day of Pentecost. Believing that this is only for a select few, or even worse, that this was only for a select season of time, and somehow it's since passed away. And they're going to be skeptics. They're going to be like those on the day of Pentecost, who they just, they have to have an explanation. Oh, these people must be drunk. Yes, I mean, obviously, they, it must be some really good wine, because they're able to speak languages that they can't do in the natural, but that's, they got some really good stuff. 
That must be what it is. What a dumb argument in the first place. Just like many of the dumb arguments against the baptism of the Holy Spirit today. We don't need the Holy Spirit any longer. God sent the Holy Spirit so the church could get established. Now everything's great. Everything's going really strong right now. We don't need that baptism anymore. I mean, just look around. It's fantastic, isn't it? It's just dumb arguments. I'm sorry. I feel a fire in my bones. Those are, those are ignorant, unlearned arguments. It's an argument to simply say you don't want to surrender and yield to a supernatural power that you have no control over. No, 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 no. Folks, the reality is many simply don't receive the fullness. Yeah, you want the Holy Spirit so you don't go to hell. You want the Holy Spirit so you can be born again. You'll agree with that all day long. But somehow you've spent, you've spent your whole life listening to preachers, listening to church, churches and teachings, trying your own self to skepticize and analyze and scrutinize every detail to assume that you don't need a fresh baptism, a subsequent experience, a secondary encounter, a moment where the Holy Spirit seizes your life and fills you afresh. No, there are others though that will receive the fullness. They will receive what is referred to as the baptism of the Holy Spirit because their hearts are hungry. There's a faith inside. There's, a, there's an acknowledgement that this is what God's word says and so I don't need to scrutinize every detail. I just want it. If Jesus said it's a promise for me, then I want it. I want it. I want it for me and I want it for my children. I want it for my family. I trust Jesus. Isn't it amazing that we trust Jesus with our salvation, but then we don't trust his promises for us now? You're going to trust him for your eternal soul, but you're not going to trust him for a promise that's for you today? No, he says this promise is for you right now. This promise is for you to live in the present life with my power so that you can be my witnesses. No, many will recognize that they don't have the strength to do what it is that Christ called them to do. So they'll call upon the Holy Spirit and they will ask him to fill them the way he did the early disciples in the book of Acts. You see, the truth is this morning, it's not debatable whether or not you need to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I know there's some that have assumed that, oh, what's Pastor Doug? I don't care about what denomination or what you think I'm leaning. I, I do my, I try my best to lean to what the Bible says. And I, quite frankly, I'm at a stage in my life where I don't care what you think. I don't care if you think I'm Pentecostal or if you think I'm Methodist. I don't care. It means absolutely nothing. It's dead as two o'clock and it's always been dead. But what I do want and what I am interested in is power to witness and live for Christ. Listen to me, but if, if, you, if you are not willing to embrace the call of Christ, the commission of Christ on your life, you see, those who are, who are willing to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they recognize that you have a commission over your life and your, the commission of your life is to be a witness to others. Folks, we live in a very dark time where that's difficult to do, as did the early church. It's, it's difficult to be a witness for Christ. 
It sounds easy, but it's very difficult. You see, without this power of the Holy Spirit behind our words, behind our actions, behind the way we speak and engage, without the power of the Holy Spirit, the church gets lost in the thousands of other voices in our generation. It's just another voice. That's what much of Christianity is. It's just another argument. But this morning, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down because this is the key to the sermon in my opinion. Here's the question that I have for you as a church. Are you aware of the purpose for the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And maybe better yet, the better question is this. Are we as a church aware of where this baptism will lead us? Because you say, why is that question so important? Well, it's important because in my eyes, it's that question that allows all the distortion in the argument to take place. Because the argument and the distortion within the church for hundreds of years now has resided in the portion of scripture that I read to you. And that's where we go. We just, we just focus on, on Acts chapter 2 verses 1 through 21. And in many cases, it just stops there, and then we just begin to dissect that. And what does this mean? And why did they speak in tongues? And what was tongues? And tongues this, and this person or that. And what was the fire? And what was the wind? Should we have wind? We need a fresh wind in the church today. And, and we just, we get so caught up in this stuff. And we don't keep reading. But the reality is, as you keep reading, as you read the rest of Acts chapter 2, as you read Acts chapter 3, as you read Acts chapter 4, it begins to paint a very clear picture for the purpose of Pentecost. Very clear picture for the purpose of Pentecost. Unfortunately, today, many want the Holy Spirit for their own gain. Many in the church, they want the Holy Spirit to show up. They want him to perform on Sunday morning. And then they want to go home and go about the rest of their week until Sunday rolls around again, and hopefully he'll show up again. And then we'll all talk about what a great service we had. We want to prophesy to each other. We want to speak in tongues to each other. We want to lay hands on each other. All inside this really nice, comfortable, safe space. But that's nowhere in the book of Acts. It's easy, folks, when you're around everyone that agrees with you. Everyone that likes you. It's comfortable. And oh man, boy, and that's what we've done. That's what we've done as a church. And people come up and we lay hands and oh, we need more of that, Pastor Doug. We need to fall on the floor more on Sunday morning, Pastor Doug, in the spirit. And I've grown up hearing about people laying in the spirit and then getting up from laying in the spirit and going about and never witnessing to one person. Don't tell me that's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. How can it be? That's not the picture that we get in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 3, Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 5, Acts chapter 6. It's not the image. It's not the picture that we get. We we lose sight of the reality. Now listen to me before you all all get all frustrated because you got to listen to what's being said. I'm not suggesting that the outpouring and the baptism of the Spirit does not refresh you as an individual. He he absolutely does. Absolutely. But there's a purpose for that refreshing. 
There's a purpose for that indwelling power that Jesus said we would have. And it's not just so we could sit around and prophesy to each other all day. And tell each other how great we are and how great we're going to be in the future. And how much land we're going to take or whatever it is that's being prophesied today. Folks, these type of meetings produce little fruit. They produce very little fruit. And Jesus said clearly in John chapter 15, my people will produce fruit. And if they don't, they will be cut off and pruned. He said, if you abide in me and I abide in you, which is the flow of the Holy Spirit, you will produce fruit. And see, you can duplicate Pentecostal services, folks. I've seen it. I've seen it. You can produce that. You can produce emotionalism all day long, but you can never produce a soul. You can never produce true lasting fruit because only God can produce it. That's what he says. You can do nothing with, without me. You can do nothing apart from me, but with me you will produce much fruit. These type of meetings are create a people who are unwilling to yield to the purpose of God Monday through Saturday. Once you hear that again, they produce these meetings produce an unwillingness to yield to the purposes of God Monday through Saturday. They create breeding grounds for error. They become like a stagnant pond. There's no outlet for fresh water to flow. If you want the outpouring of the Spirit and you want a fresh baptism of the, of the water of God, of the, of the fresh power, of the baptism of the Spirit that so many of us understand, we know the language when we say that, then you have to be pouring out what God has already given you. Otherwise, you become very stagnant. You become very pious. You begin to think somehow that you're spiritually superior to folks who don't understand or have a revelation of this outpouring of the Spirit. Could you imagine this morning if the 120 folks who were in the upper room in Acts chapter 2 simply decided to take the encounter that they have and keep it to themselves and simply agree? That's 120. That's a good number. That's, a, that's, that's above the average church size in America today. Do you understand that? Peter could have been like, this is great, man. My church is killing it. I'm, I'm above the average. Could you imagine if they would have just said, hey, let's come back next week and let's do it all over again. As a matter of fact, let's keep doing it every week. And let's keep praying for this, this tongue thing and this fire thing to come down. I mean, what an encounter this was. Let's, let's just keep doing what we've been doing. Uh, same location, praying and believing for the same experience week after week. Never coming down out of the upper room. Could you imagine? Well, folks, Paul warns about this type of Christian. In Philippians chapter 3 and verse 18, I want you to hear what he says. We'll read in verse 17. No, let's start in verse 18. Philippians chapter 3, verse 18. Paul warns about this. He warns about a church that, that simply wants to take what God has given to us, the promise of God. And it really could be applied to any promise. But in this case, we're applying it to the promise of the Holy Spirit. And, and they take it, and they only want to use it for their own self-gratification, for their own purposes, for their own strength. And he warns of this, and he says in verse 18, For many, for many of whom I have told you often, and I tell you now weeping, they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly 
whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. He says these type of people are enemies of the cross. In other words, they come to the house of God with with a selfish desire. They come with this sense of, I want God. Yes, I want God. I want to have an experience this morning. But they don't want God for the right reasons. I want to say that again. They come to the house of God with a sense in their heart of wanting God, but they want God for the wrong reason. They want God for their own purpose. I don't, I, I don't want the Holy Spirit for the reasons laid out in Scripture. I don't want to be led to persecution in hard times where I need a supernatural strength inside of me to get me through it. I don't want to encounter hostile people who don't want to hear the gospel. I don't want to walk around among those circles. I don't want to, I don't want to engage people who, who have studied more about why Christianity is, is wrong and is not, not relevant and not real. I don't want to encounter those people. I just want to come into my healthy, happy church where it's always the right temperature with always the right worship and hang around the people that believe and think and act just like me and I want to lay hands on each other and prophesy to each other and speak in tongues to each other. That's easy. And Paul says, no, they're enemies. Now, folks, you've got to understand what he's saying. They're enemies of the cross. They're saying the The cross of Christ represents the redemption of humanity. Do you understand that? That's what the cross of Christ, the cross of Christ represents God coming to the earth to save humanity. No, I don't want to witness. I don't want to serve. I don't want to, I don't want to bless a brother or sister in the congregation. Bless. I want to come for what I can gain. I want to come for what I can get. I want to have, you know, I want to have that old time feeling that I used to have when I was in so-and-so meeting in 1978 or 1985 or 1997. Boy, we had a meeting and the spirit was so, I just want to feel that again. He says they're enemies of the cross. There's no interest in seeing other people redeemed by the blood of Christ. He says their God is their own belly. In other words, they're gripped with a selfish view of God's power. Always going through their own trial, always going through their own situation, always in need of some kind of breakthrough, always in need of getting through sin. Oh, it's just always about them. No, 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 no desire for this power of the Spirit to come upon them so that they can take what's inside of them and, and release or give it to those around them. And yet that's exactly what you read. We don't have time to read it. Read it this week. Read, read Acts 2. Read Acts 3. Read Acts, you'll see it. It's just this outflow of what God's doing. And then, and then they encounter struggle. They encounter their own persecution, their own difficulties. You know what they do? Then they call upon the Lord and say, okay, now we need a fresh baptism. We need it. We've poured this out. And now we need fresh, so fill us again. And the Holy Spirit comes, and the Holy Spirit fills them again. And it's, it's witnessed by the speaking of tongues, supernatural ability that they don't have in their own strength. Yes, it, it is manifest through prophecy. It's manifested through many gifts. 
It's manifested through a love for others, but it never stays inside the walls of the church. It always goes outside of the church. It's all clearly documented in the scripture. But Paul said there's a type of person, they just don't want this. They're not really interested in the redemption of man. Well, if you're not interested in the redemption of man, then the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not for you. The purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit this morning is so that the work of Christ, the work of the Messiah who came 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ, so that his work can continue and so that it can expand through us. Now, there's another type of person who has been taught that I don't need this power. You, you, don't, you don't want to use it selfishly. You just want to avoid it entirely. You're scared to death. You've been told all kinds of things. You think if somebody speaks in tongues, like the, the, the earth is shattered. Like you're scared to death. It's got to be a demon. Like I don't know where you got that from. I don't know of any account in scripture. If I'm wrong, please share with me. I don't know of any account in the scripture where it says the Holy Spirit was there and the, the demons came upon a man and he spoke in tongues. I don't know. Maybe it's happened. Like, are there demonic, is there real demonic influence and in things that happen? Sure. You're going to know what that looks like if you're a true believer. It's not someone speaking in tongues. It's not someone with the prophetic utterance. I know that feels awkward to you because it's not natural. It's not your nine to five, I get up, I drink coffee at 8.15 and then I go to work and I do this all day long. But you live and are a part of a supernatural religion. You believe, you, listen to me, you believe that you're going to go to heaven because a guy came from heaven to earth, died and then rose from the dead. And you're worried that, uh, that his believers do some things that are out of the natural? Come on, somebody. This is, this is, you're a part of a supernatural religion. Give him praise. <laughs> you believe that the God you served split a Red Sea. You believe the God you served raised the dead. You believe the God you serve heals the sick. You, that's, these are the things you believe. But somehow now, in 2023, no miracles, no supernatural power. Why do you think the church is dead in America? Because we're trying to do it in our own strength. Trying to do it in our own power. No. Jesus expects his work to continue. And here's the reality. You cannot do the work of Christ without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So for those of you that are like, oh, no, I'm just going to stay away from that. I've had people tell me, like, oh, I'm just going to stay away from that stuff. I just don't know. Well, you better start learning, and you better listen to your pastor this morning. You need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Look at your life. I challenge you. You come to me and share with me the fruit that is being born in your life. You tell me, and you sit with me, and you talk with me, and you talk to me about the fruit of God that's clearly revealed in Scripture. Talk to me about fruit in your life, and then tell me you've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit. You cannot produce fruit without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. How could you? Listen, the people that I know that refuse to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, they're going to go to heaven. I'm not questioning your salvation. I am questioning your effectiveness. The things you see, 
that are on this campus, on this church, a part of this church, flow from the power of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They come from the baptism of the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit has come upon men, just as they did 47 years ago upon a man and a woman. The Holy Spirit will come upon a man and a woman and will give them ability, will give them vision, will give them direction, will give them an ability to stand when everyone else may rise against them. We'll begin to lead and guide and direct a man. We'll begin to lead and direct and guide a family or a church. That is what the Holy Spirit will do. That's what he has always done. That's what he will continue to do to this day. No, the purpose of Pentecost was to empower you so that you would go to the lost and lead them to Christ. Folks, they left the upper room. That's the reality. They left the upper room. They went into a society that did not want to hear about Jesus. You are living in a society that does not want to hear about Jesus. They were in a society that, quite frankly, was fed up with this. It had caused their society, their, their normal lives, to be turned really, quite frankly, upside down. Think of the stir of everything that has happened over the last 40 days. This guy's been crucified. There's been, there's been riots. There's been all of this mass chaos. And so by the time... Pentecost happens 40 days later. It's, it's just, people are, the, the Jews, and the, they're just done with the Christians. It says it. That's why they're in the upper room. It says that they, the, the Jews, they were fearful because of the Jews. They don't want to hear it. The people don't want to hear about Jesus. There was a time for some of you where it was cool and popular to be a Christian. That day is over. It's not popular to be a Christian anymore. It's not going to be popular in the future to be a Christian. It's going to be very similar to this. You're going to work with people that don't want to hear the gospel. And we've come to this place and say, well, I guess I just shouldn't share the gospel. Well, there's a problem. Jesus told you to share the gospel. So you have to decide. You're just going to live the rest of your life like, well, I know what Jesus said, but well, it's kind of hard now. What do you think's going on in the rest of the globe? Do you understand me? We just heard a couple of weeks ago, Christians in China who when they share the gospel, literally, literally could face true persecution. Our persecution in the present is, you know, they're going to cuss you out. They're going to get mad. We say things like, well, maybe one day they're going to come to church. Wait, what? what? Just, they're just going to come to church out of the blue? What if they die before then? You're trying to get them to come to church. You're trying to get them saved. You're trying to bring them to Christ. You and I have the mandate of God on our lives to share. And yes, there's going to be resistance. Yes, there'll be obstacles. And I believe we're, we're heading, going headlong into the day when it's going to be per, there's going to be persecution. But we still have to preach the gospel. We, we still have to share Christ. And the only way you're able to do it effectively is with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Are you with me? Come and sing. I want you to see this in Acts chapter 2 as we close. I've been alluding to it, but I want you to see it in just one segment. You can go chapter 3, chapter 4, all the way to chapter 6, 7. You'll see it. But Peter preaches, and as you know, 3,000 people give their heart to Christ that day. And then the next image, you've got to remember that we're kind of getting snapshots. It, it's not happening happening necessarily concurring exactly like right together it's 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 giving us snapshots of what happened peter preaches three thousand are saved 
And then we got to get another snapshot. I don't know if it's weeks later. I don't know if it's days later. Maybe it's months later. But we get this picture and it says, and with many other words he testified, exhorted them saying, be safe. Then, the word then, it's like we don't know. And some, most agree that the book of Acts are snapshots. It says, those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. So, so you got to understand, the apostles are now sharing what Jesus said. The things that they would later write in letters that you have in your Bible. Do you understand that? So, so they're, they're sharing, they're, they're together, and they're studying the Bible. Just for, for the sake, you understand. They are, they are steadfastly fellowshipping with each other. That means there's some kind of supernatural power for them to like each other. How do you bring 3,000 people together completely oblivious, never knowing each other, and then all of a sudden now you want to hang out and have meals together? Well, it's the same way you bring this many people in Ripley County together and hang out and actually enjoy it. People want to come early, want to stay, stay late, want to go out to dinner with each other. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. They break bread together. They have meals together, and they pray. And, and if you go on and you'll read and you'll see all of these characteristics are played out. You, you'll, you'll see nothing, folks. And I'm not suggesting that you shouldn't speak in tongues in church. You shouldn't prophesy in church. Please, just will you just stop? I, I want you to speak in tongues in church in order. Just like you're, just do it. Have your way. But don't just do that. Don't just do that. Let that power take you outside. But, but my point is this, you don't see anywhere in the Bible where there are meetings, like why does God not choose to show us? And the church gathered and they laid hands and everyone was out in the spirit for 25 minutes. And it was an amazing moment in church history. It's not, nowhere in the Bible. It's not there. Why? Because clearly he emphasizes the things that he wants to be emphasized throughout all of history. And so the reality is, the purpose of Pentecost, yes, is to make you a witness, but it's also so that you will fellowship with each other. Fellowship means sharing, it's unity, it's close association, it's a partnership, it's a brotherhood. The Greek word is koinonia, and it's, it's literally a supernatural unity that comes about by the Holy Spirit. And so I'm going to end this way. Don't tell me this morning that you're full of the Holy Spirit and you're not willing to fellowship with believers you're not willing to study the Bible. You never pray and you never witness. Because if you profess to be full of the Holy Spirit, your full gospel, which by the way is a dumb term again. It's another dumb term. If you say, I'm, I'm, a spirit, I'm, a, I'm spirit led, and you tell me that, and I can't judge this, only you can. And you judge your life and you're never fellowshipping with other believers in your church. You're standoffish. You don't join. I'm, I'm not, listen, I gotta go. I don't want to go too far. But you don't join a small group? That's a stretch. That wasn't in the scripture. That's me. You better figure out some way to fellowship. Break bread with each other and pray with each other. Because according to the Bible, if you're full of the Holy Spirit... You're going to do all of those things. Quit telling me because you rattle something off in a tongue 
that you're full of the Spirit means nothing to me. If you're new and fresh, it means nothing to me. I have no idea your level. It means nothing to me. I could care less how many words you speak in tongues. Not impressive whatsoever. What's impressive is when I see you walking, walking the journey with your brothers and sisters, exhorting them, giving them a word of exhortation, getting a word from heaven in prayer, and then prophesying to them what God spoke to you to encourage them and exhort them, speaking in tongues with them and encouraging them. That is impressive because that is the purpose of Pentecost. Somebody give God praise. Let's stand. So this is what we're going to do. Just because I don't know how else to do with the altar call. I, I, maybe God would bless us this morning. If you're in this room and you want a fresh baptism in the Holy Spirit, I want you to come forward. We're going to pray and ask for it. Because I don't know, I don't have any other pattern. I can't teach you seven steps to receive the Holy Spirit and this is how and I'm going to teach you and I'm going to show you. I don't, I'm not doing that right now. For one, I don't, and the scripture just says, in many, it just says ask. That's what they did. They asked for the Holy Spirit. Come on. If you want the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it may be evidenced through you speaking in tongues. There's going to be an evidence of some sort. I don't know what it's going to be. But if you're not afraid of the Holy Spirit and you want to be empowered, come on. Come on. Let's go. Come up. Let's pray together. Let's ask for the Holy Spirit. I'd like to be pretty effective the next few years in this earth. I don't know how much longer I got before I get to be see Jesus. I'd like to use the time that I got with very effectively. Because just like the elders that we read about, there's going to be a day where you're going to stand before God. I want to have something in my hand that I can cast at his feet. Some of you are just not going to have anything. You don't even have anything to cast because you didn't do anything because you weren't effective for God. I don't want that to be my life. Come on, some of you scoot in the middle a little bit let some more folks go. Come on, balcony. Balcony needs the baptism of the Holy Spirit too. Back row needs the balcony or needs the Holy Spirit. Front row needs the Holy Spirit. All I'm asking you to do, folks, I'm not, I don't have a special prayer. I want you to just lift your hands and just say, Lord, I need it. Fill me fresh. Holy Spirit, I know you're real. I know you empower. Come on, just start right now. Pray, let him hear your voice. You can say it out loud. If you feel to speak in tongues, speak in tongues. Let it flow. Come on, start singing. Everyone else all over the sanctuary, ask for the Holy Spirit. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you did, make sure you like and share on social media to help spread God's word. If you would like to learn more about The Bridge or if you'd like to give, you can go to our website at thebridge129.org. Thanks so much for tuning in and we'll see you next time.